in the dungeon. I'm Tom Gross and this is Dan Ream. Good morning everybody. Good morning indeed. Dan, it's it's kind of a stressful morning <laughs> because we've got something happening this week that I'm not especially excited about. <laughs> it's our last free day for 180. It's the last summer day. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, I shouldn't say that I don't love what I do, but, you know, it's more the schedule. Yes. It's the schedule. Yep. You go from being able to do whatever you want to do, within reason, to you got you to gotta be there at 720. You yes. got to leave somewhere around 3, 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the rest of the day is rest of the day. So, anyway... Glad you joined us today on Teachers in the Dungeon. I hope you enjoyed our Gen Con recap shows from the car on the way home from Gen Con. <laughs> Road noise and everything. Road noise, rain, <laughs> squealing tires. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're glad you're joining us today. And as promised, we have our interview show. Yes, yes. So we have a handful of interviews that we gathered while we were at Gen Con from trade day reactions to the show floor and so forth. And I'm glad you reminded me because I was so caught up that honestly I totally forgot, oh, I should be I should be on the lookout for people to interview. This is kind of what we're here for. You so. know, I really, I, I still, we've been doing this for two years now. <laughs> <laughs> I still struggle with all the hats that we wear when we're at a gaming convention. Yes. Because I have not only the podcasting hat, which for some odd reason always takes the second, second that's the one that I have to put on, because the one I always have on is the teacher, educator, and game club sponsor. Right. I'm always looking out for what can I find for our kids? What can we, who can I meet that might be interesting for our kids to talk to? Things like that. And I don't know why podcasting is second. And then third to that is I should have taken a picture of that. <laughs> So yes. I, it's like I'm creeping yes. on people because I come back for a second time and I come back for, I forgot to take your picture. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we'll eventually figure this thing out. We're getting there. We're getting there. Well, our first interview was with our new but very good friend, Adam Watson from Kentucky. Educators for uh, RPGs. Yes. It's something like that. <laughs> I I said, I, you'll hear it on the, he'll, he'll correct me on the, um, the on the interview, but it's really close to that. I yes. should look it up and make sure we get it right, but yes. We'll definitely have to put a link in the uh, description for that. So anyway, we're starting with this one because this was the first interview. He was with us on trade day, so he gave his impressions of, of trade day and some of the things he noted. I do need to apologize. Our, our audio quality here got really messed up for some reason, but we really like what he had to say. We so we want you to hear it. So yes. circle through it if you can. If if that's the sort of thing that just really irritates you, you know, having to sort through kind of some garble. Um, this is about a five five and a half minute interview. I think the benefit to this interview, if you're an educator or a store owner or a librarian, listen to things he has to say about the things that he learned this day. Because if you if you're on the fence whether you should go to trade day at Gen Con or not. 
I think he'll he'll convince you that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Okay, here we go with Adam Watson. We are with Adam Watson, Kentucky Educator for RPGs. Did I get that correct? Good enough. Yes, KY okay. at RPG. Let's, Excellent. That works. <laughs> All right. Give, give it to you. Toss it to you. But this is this has been wonderful. We finally get to meet you face to face. I know. It has been great. It's yeah. been you actually exist. I mean, you're talking to Dungeon. <laughs> That's right. That's it's right. a little bigger than that. Or it's, it's pretty cavernous though. Yes. It's it's yes. Definitely a crawl yeah. 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 So so Adam, you've been on our show before and uh, we had the opportunity to hang out with you today. It's it's we're at Gen Con, it's trade day. And so I just want to take a few minutes to ask you, what's your, how, how has today been, and, uh, and what kinds of things did you learn? Well, thank you for that, and thank you for having me on again. Um, first off, it is important to say that I went to the gentleman's session today at, at this convention, wow. and it was phenomenal, and well stocked full of people. But I'm sure you're going to recap and talk about that. I just want to <laughs> put that out thank there you. as yes, a biased opinion. Um, it's been it's been great. It's been an uh, interesting mix of, of vendors and educators, librarians, teachers. Um, I uh, we had a keynote that was great. Uh, for Red Raccoon Games, who talked really well about um, how or what the interface might look like between a gaming store and a school, and how it can be mutually beneficial. And that's certainly a little you know lots of pointers from that. And. Um, so, um, you know, girl session, of course, so there's a session about research papers, you know, um, non-fiction text, which could be, of course, role-playing game, or role-playing game uh, guidebooks, books. So, anyway, it was, it, was, it was very interesting, and it definitely felt like a tribe of my people. Like, sometimes when I'm talking to people like, education and role-playing games, and the peanut butter and jelly of that, people are like, ah, what? You know, here, that's... It's sold, you know. Yeah. It's a pre-sold idea. People are like, "Yes, but I mean, um, so that's been great. Uh, it's been great to do everything from walking out in the food truck area to just walking through, getting a little bit of the uh, exhibition hall to open up tomorrow. <laughs> uh, they had the doors just open a crack; you could look yeah, in. Yeah, you know, a little, a little pre-Christmas, you know, looking under the tree, seeing all the rain. I want to unwrap the presents. So, um, <laughs> and, very exciting. And we also got that we didn't see this last year, Dan, but the did you get a sense of like. The crowd by watching the will call line. Amazing. That will call line was out the door, but people listening, unless you've been here, it but that line go extends all the way down all of the ballrooms of it's a full city block. Yes. And then it went out the door, and I didn't see where it went when it went out the door, but that is an amazingly massive. Yeah. And you don't even have to. You can order your ticket ahead. <laughs> That's so fair. Just the people that didn't want to do that. So. <laughs> fair. So this is a tip, tip yeah. for everyone. That's right. Uh, don't do a will call. No. Or come to trade day where you can get your, all your information this morning and you're done. Yeah. So yeah. You just have to be an yeah. educator. Yeah. 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 So what are you looking forward to seeing tomorrow? Do you have like a thing you want to see or experience or is it the whole thing? Um, first off, merchandise wise, I have to go away with probably a t-shirt or some cup or something. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to getting that right early. I've been given the tip that it's important to do that early because later on it'll probably be sold out. Um, inside, there's a, there's a couple of different places. Um, one of the things I've been 
reading about or hearing about is like evil genius games. Um, curious, uh, I've, I've bought in their everyday heroes RPG, and I'm fascinated by the idea that that's a, uh, you know, the everyday hero motif, but also they have lots of really interesting licenses, and I didn't get an opportunity to get tickets to them, but they have lots of demos of a Highlander game, and, uh, you know, uh, The Crow, and a lot of those movie franchises escape from New York, um, they've been fortunate to get licenses for to adapt in this that's one thing I'm probably swing by and see as far as food. There's also old school things like I used to play Steve Jackson games back in the 80s when it was a little plastic box, right? I'm curious to swing by what's what's Steve Jackson in 2023 for some opportunities. So old school and new school. I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe seeing a few opportunities. Well, I guess that that we've got we have a social to go to. Yes. So I guess we'll wrap that up. And Adam, again, it has been great meeting you face to face and wonderful hanging out with you today. Hey, same here. Thank you so much. Our next interview uh, is that night of trade day at the social social engagement, I suppose, where I mentioned this at the very beginning of the interview, game companies set up, and it gives us a chance as educators to have some one-on-one time talking to the creators, talking to the people who know the games. Yeah. And I was, Adam and I were walking around, and this game, it was kind of like, when you drive by something and you're like, did I just see that? And, and I, I did like a, a rubber neck. I looked over my shoulder. The game is utterly stunning. So here's an interview with a member of their sales force and a creator. I think it's a co-creator. He'll say in the interview, but he's, I believe he's a co-creator of this game, The Stifling Dark. On Kickstarter, this game was, they needed $20,000 to get this game going. Mm-hmm. It raised $220,000. Nice. nice. It is a beautiful looking game. I can't wait to see it out in the field. We're at the Trade Day Social, which is a setting where lots of game developers and designers have tables out to give demonstrations to educators and librarians that are attending game day. We're here with Ethan. And your game, the, the appearance of it, is what drew us over. Oh, by the way, I'm also here with Adam Watson. He's going to ask some questions. We were learning yes. about this one. Dan is, I don't know where Dan went. He's, he's having a good time. circuit. That's right. He's doing yeah. fun. Okay. So, Ethan, <laughs> tell us about your company first. Yeah, absolutely. So, we are Sophisticated Cerberus Games. Um, we, this is actually our first game, The Stifling Dark. Um, and we uh, we wanted to do something that was very, uh, had a lot of table presence and was just very... Uh, uh, very thematic and different. Um, Your yeah. table presence is what brought me over. Yeah, so, <laughs> me as well. We, so we came in like gravity. <laughs> I, will, I will give you a description of what I'm looking at that drew, drew me over. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, a game board with a, a, a field of circles with numbers in them, but what drew me over are these yellow sort of balloon-shaped... What do, you, what do you call that? It's kind of like a light bulb almost shape. Yes. Yeah. And and I was like, I wonder if that's like a, a line of sight or something. And so that's when we came over to see you. So tell us a little bit more about your game. How does it how does it work and all that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got up to four people playing as paranormal investigators. And they basically came to this old abandoned sawmill uh, trying to find evidence of the paranormal. But they realized once they got in, they couldn't get back out and they're not alone. Um, so they're using their flashlights, which is uh, the templates that you were describing, um, and that shows what they can see. Um, so basically you place it over top of the map um, that has a bunch of little circles on it that they can move on, um, and they can see anything that is under it, and they can draw a line to without hitting an obstacle. So 
four players at the board. Yes. And then you have a game master. Tell us a little bit about that game master mechanic. Correct. Yeah. So it is a hidden movement game. Um, so we've got one person who is the bad guy. We call them the adversary. Um, and there are three different possible adversaries they can play as, um, but they are uh, running around trying to kill the investigators before they can escape. Um, so there are uh, the different adversaries. There is a uh, kind of like a Tremors-like worm guy who is um, trying to hatch his next brood. Um, you've got a bunch of cultists who are trying to sacrifice enough investigators so they can uh, summon their demon. Um, and then you've got the uh, the butcher who is kind of like our Michael Myers type. He is trying to stalk the investigators um, and uh, then attack them. I love, I love the rich replayability of that. I mean, even with just those three scenarios, there's a lot of... Uh, Longevity you can get out of the game. It's really yeah. fun. It's, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and they all, um, each different adversary, they play very differently um, just by themselves, but they also have different attacks and abilities, so you can build them out differently every time you play them. And you mentioned that the, the different characters, some of them have, depending on who the adversary is, they have different interactions with them, so that's kind of built into your four character choices, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, each adversary, so um, the investigators will have, uh, once they collect all the evidence that they're looking for, um, they'll have different escape routes that they will uh, try to uh, use to get out. But each different adversary has their own specific escape route, um, and that is basically taking the fight to that specific adversary. And they, they are different with each one. Super cool. And then you mentioned that you have uh, expansions for this to kind of build and, and just expand how many uh, like different adversaries. Is that correct? Yeah, so uh, our first expansion is a, an expansion on the flashlights um, and the investigators. So there's there's two more investigators, but we absolutely do have plans for adversary expansions and more maps um, and uh, different items and stuff. So you mentioned that this Kickstarter was fully funded. Yes. And how do people get their hands on this if they mixed, mi- miss the Kickstarter? Yeah, so our Kickstarter page is still up. So you can look us up, um, the Stifling Dark on Kickstarter. Otherwise, we do have uh, sophisticatedcerberusgames.com um, and we do have all of our social medias uh, that are softcerb S-O-P-H-C-E-R-B um, that's on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram so you can look us up there. Ethan, thank you so much for taking the time to describe this to us and uh, have a great week. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, awesome, thanks. Our third interview is with our good friends from Limitless Adventure, mm-hmm. Michael Johnson. It was great that he came to our summer camp, yeah. and it was even more exciting to see them at Gen Con. Right, right. And uh, this interview talks about their experiences at Gen Con this year as a vendor. And I asked him a question about getting his chance to walk around the show floor and who, when you have a limited amount of time, who is it that you go to see? And he shares a little bit of that in I, this interview. I think it's so good that you got this this is it's it's an aspect that i don't think about but when i when i'm reminded of it i am fascinated by yeah what is it like for a vendor Mm -hmm. in these situations yeah so here's michael johnson of limitless adventures i'm here with michael johnson from limitless adventures here at gen con and it's been about what a month since i've since we've seen each yeah, other yeah 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 right we did the uh, the school thing with the students the rpg uh, uh yeah, summer, camp. Summer, summer camp summer camp yeah yeah, yeah. it was great and we were so thankful that you were there for all of that and and when we gave away your products to the kids at the end of the um at the end of the camp they were totally pumped yeah, so excited yeah. so so we appreciate that. Oh, no, it's an amazing project you've got going. So it is Saturday morning of Gen Con, and you were just mentioning to me you're exhausted. I Tell am, me about that. Oh, oh, yeah. Gen Con is a 
relentless just stream. It just continues and continues. And we run into, in one sense, as a small creator, you know, I mean, we're, you know, it's Andy and me. We just, we're, we write everything. We're, publish everything we get everything prepped or whatever but to to be telling somebody about our product and have another person come by and go oh i have all of these they're really great and the person's like oh really yeah and then off they go it's just like hey strange person whoever you were thank you for supporting us you know or people walk up and like what's new i've followed all your kickstarters or whatever that like really helps give us that sort of you know uh, psychological energy for the like the rest of the year you know that's like oh man people are actually you know you know i mean because you sell stuff online and, and whatnot and through the kickstarters and whatnot but you don't have that that face to face here's another human being who bought my stuff and has come back and is buying more because they're you know or they'll tell us about their game uh you know the fifth evolution comics we had a guy yesterday came up and told us about his group and when his uh the campaign that we're playing they were trying to find out if there were more issues beyond the second issue of supers his crew came up behind him and they all immediately went carbide said you know it was it was just this feeling of like somebody recognized something i made you know and it was like yeah it was, it was it's a great feeling that affirmation yeah, is, yeah. is certainly a, a build-up it makes you feel good and uh but you know when you've got a good product it helps you to know that right <laughs> yeah yeah so do you have a chance to walk around the show floor being here as a small vendor? We used to attend year after year and, uh, you know, you, you, you go to events and you do this and there's all this stuff going on. And as a vendor, uh, you're kind of, at least as a small vendor, I mean, it's just the two of us. So, so, and we do have a, we have a friend who comes with us and we've occasionally had other people, but you're kind of tied to the booth. And so there's this sort of weird moment in the morning before the doors open where all the vendors are here and there's sort of this uh smaller mini vendor con you know where people try and like find things during the day like oh i'm gonna have to remember that booth and write it down and then in the morning they come back and they go to that booth and they're like hey i saw you yesterday and you know you sort of have this you know sort of another different sort of con that's going on it's a very different experience so yeah um so what i wanted to ask was it you know that everybody is everybody somebody is here yeah and so what is what is a, a company a artist a writer that has inspired you in the past that whether they're here or not and and, and this was actually last year um uh when i was in college so you know early 90s uh, we played cyberpunk the original cyberpunk 20 well we played the original original one and then we ended up playing cyberpunk 2020 and uh i had never known about uh michael pond smith or his family or whatever and he still writes you know the the current 2077 and, and was involved in the video game and whatnot and last year uh i had gone to their booth to pick up the book and buy it and his daughter was there and we were talking for a little while and i'm like i'm a vendor i gotta you know what you know it's like okay can i buy this and like come back later or something like that and i didn't get to make it back and he actually came to our booth and came into the booth and signed it and we talked for a minute and it was this like surreal experience to like you know here's somebody i you know i absolutely cherish this person's work mm -hmm. and he's coming to my booth to sign it and be like oh yeah this is you know i remember this is what it was like when we started and we're chatting for a while. and it's just this you know kind of very surreal moment that that humanizes you know where they're not over there somewhere you know on a stage or whatever they're 
you know, the guy's standing in my booth, you know, yeah. talking to me and saying, oh, yeah, I like your stuff. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy, you know. That is that is awesome. And I feel like that's what a, a convention like this is all about. Yeah. Besides selling your product and getting your name out there, making those networking connections, yeah. having the opportunity to meet, like, mentors of the industry and, or and weird, whatnot. you know, random encounters that happen in the hallway and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, you just never know. Like, you're as you're walking along and you just sort of strike up a conversation with somebody and it's like, oh, and we both like this same stuff because we were at Gen Con, you know, but just that, that, uh, you know, the, during the pandemic, I think everybody went a little feral, you know, and we sort of lost that ability to connect with each other. And this has been, which is probably why it's bigger numbers than they've ever, you know, than they've had in a while. It's just like everybody's sort of yearning for that. I want that human connection with people, you know, you know, who like to play and we can, we can be together and do our thing and everybody can have fun and we can, you know, move on. So. Absolutely. So speaking of playing, let's talk a little bit about your products that you have here today. What is what has gotten the attention uh, or what is something that you've been really pleased that people are interested in? Uh, well, we've it, it's we've we've gained some traction. We've had the DM list stuff for a while and and it seems to work out really well here. We've noticed uh, we had a few items that were pre-pandemic and, and it sold OK at the time. But it's as things have gone by and people have gotten more into D&D that we have these DM list products where they don't necessarily have a regular DM or they can't get a group together regularly like they used to. And the DM list stuff has really picked up uh, for us. You know, where it, it was, we had this idea before and it was okay, but it really seems post pandemic suddenly it's very, you know, people are way more interested because they're new to the game or they're having difficulties with mm -hmm. the true monster, uh, the shared count, <laughs> the shared calendar that wipes out more That's parties right. than anything else. And then we also have a, a solo game, a solo RPG because people would come up and be like, well, I want to play, but I don't even have a group and whatnot. So we had, we had worked uh, with uh, Mia, who handles our social media, and created a book. You know, it's, uh, just, it's 5e, it's just you and the book, and you play it solo. And uh, it's kind of like you find these different sort of avenues, you know, these, these sort of, you know, oh, you've got a regular DM who needs some assistance writing stuff. That's our traditional stuff. Oh, we need, we've got a group, but we can't meet regularly. We don't have regular numbers and we have the DMless stuff. And then finally, you know, we can appeal to people who's like, I want to play the game, but either I don't have a group or, you know, I haven't quite found anybody yet or whatever. And we have a lot of those too. And it's, it's, it's worked out well. So. Well, I can tell you, I'm looking forward to introducing your uh, DMless adventures to our game club because, you know, for our kids, when they play Dungeons and Dragons in our game club, that's a year school year long commitment. Yeah. And I got yeah. a lot of kids that are like, oh, I got sports or I have a club that often meets. And so we're going to introduce that as sort of an alternative on D&D days. Right. Hey, if you can't commit to a campaign, come when you can. We'll have Pull these. Yeah, play. we'll have these oh, adventures ready to go. Yeah. So, uh, well, it You're is. You're making our business case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it, it is Saturday. The crowd is picking up, so yeah. I don't want to take any more of your right, time, Tom. but I truly appreciate you stopping and visiting with me. That was good talking to you. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Second last interview was one that I did because I finally remembered that's what I was supposed to be doing at Gen Con. So <laughs> this was a good one, though. I, I really enjoyed talking to this, uh, I, I can say, young man since we're getting up there. But uh, this was a guy named Connor Brazier who developed the the game the Cicadia game that Kate, my daughter, and I played in the playtest hall, which I explained in the interview, so I'm being a little redundant here. But anyway, it was really interesting to talk to a young game creator and just learn a little bit about the process mm -hmm. and, uh, and what his plans are, how he plans to make a big splash with this game. 
you know, we played in, Marcus and I played in the playtest hall as well. And it just, it's really cool to see the different levels at which games are in development. Right. And to hear and talk to somebody doing that. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to this one. All right, it's Dan with Teachers in the Dungeon, day three of Gen Con, and it is packed here. You can probably hear people in the background. This was the very quietest place I could find. Here with Connor Brazier of Adventures of, or in? Tales of Cicadia. Tales of Cicadia. I should have checked that before I started. Folks, you know this is real. Okay, (laughs) so this is a game that my daughter and I play-tested that is sort of currently in development, and we were very excited to play it. It ended up being just a really fun experience, and my daughter is like, they're playing again tonight. Are we going? So uh, we thought we'd talk to Connor a little bit, ask him a little bit about uh, about the game and his background. So um, we'll just start with you, Connor. Tell us a little bit about your gaming background and how you got into all this. Yeah, um, so I, uh, my name's Connor Brazier. I've been playing uh, tabletop role-playing games for 12 years now, uh, every week, with mostly the same group of people since... I was in college, I went to college in a very small town, and there was not a lot to do in the town itself, so we all played tabletop role-playing games. Cool. And it was, uh, it was very fun. I've been uh, playing my game, Tales of Skate, for about three years now. So. Okay, so, yeah, let's just jump right into this. This is a game that you are, that's in development. It is not fully complete yet. You're still fine-tuning it? Correct. There's a, there's a version of the game that is complete, and it's not the whole game. So you okay. can play the game completely... Uh, with the sort of traditional or the first game loops that we've created. We plan on adding a lot more to the game that would allow you to play in different ways, um, and I'm happy to talk about that, but that's really the, the focus is that it's modular, so some of the modules are done, some of them are not, um, and that's where we're at. Okay. Well, I was going to say, tell us a little bit more about, you know, what the game's about, maybe what makes it unique, what does it offer that maybe some other games don't? Yeah, so Tales of Cicadia is a mythic... Um, sort of origin story for uh, culture of the classical era, so think antiquity, so Greco-Roman, uh, or other cultures from like pre-BC times, and or started off pre-BC times, and these uh, cultures, there was uh, this big arc of empire, and so across the course of a game of Cicadia, you have a sort of macro level layer where you as a group create a culture together, a unique mythical culture, you raise it up from the initial beginnings of that culture all the way to empire, and then you slowly destroy it together for personal gain. And uh, that's sort of the arc of the game, and as we go through this cultural exercise, the group at the table together shares this culture and builds the culture. And then all the players will take on the role, we'll zoom in on moments of pivotal history for that culture, and players will take on the role of characters in that setting and play through those events in real time. So there's sort of two levels of that. The macro level there, that cultural creation, I think is the most unique thing we try to bring to the table, though I know we did not play that yesterday, so. Right, so so it's kind of a zoom out, zoom in type of thing. So as a player, sometimes you're you're actually a character, and sometimes you're sort of a, not really a godlike character, but like a, how would you describe yeah, it? Yeah, like so a, usually you take on the role of like, a, like an organization or a class or something within the society, so we have um, like, like in the past we played it, we've had somebody represents all of religion in the culture. Oh, and that, okay. that would include any subsects or different religions all competing, but specifically trying to take on the role of a facet of the culture, trying to advance that facet specifically as your role. So a lot of the times we'll give players when we're doing the cultural creation, or especially when we build a town together, we have these, we get manila envelopes, everybody gets a role, and like their goals, their kind of secrets to them. Sometimes there are secrets, those are usually when a GM wants to set up like a specific game or like a hook for a dungeon. Okay. Uh, you can give them a seat, they can have a secret, 
that they then try to advance. So if you can create this building in the town, or you can make the culture have like this religion uh, as a primary religion, you advance your private aims or secrets to kind of create and set up that micro level dungeon crawl or campaign that you want. Okay, okay. So, and you may have just said this, but kind of the way I'm hearing it is that you provide sort of the world background, but every group that plays is going to develop that world a little differently with its own rituals, its own history. Yeah, so it's very much meant to be players are creating their own culture. We have a setting, it's Cicadia, uh, Mm -hmm. that players are welcome to use for the template. There's a lot of lore on our website that we we want people to get into and be able to read and absorb. Uh, You don't have to do that. You can build your own. We've had people play uh, traditional historical battles. So we have people do the Battle of Thermopylae. We've ran a few of the battles of the Second Pure War. And we've... uh, We've ran historical battles to try and just test and flex out the rules. Um, we, but for the most part, people are playing in Cicadia, so they create a culture, they dive into the setting itself, and they sort of jostle for space around the other cultures that exist within the setting. And we've had people jostle for, you know, somebody creates a culture next to another player culture, and they have to compete with one another and fight. And uh, for those games, we have had um, specific interactions where people have set up like cross-game collaborations where they can go oh. ahead as well. Okay. So, okay. Um, so. What, um, this might be too long of a story, but how did you guys go about creating this? What, like, what sparked the idea? What was the process? So there's a, there's a, a common theme, I think, among tabletop role-playing game creators that I've heard is that, you know, you want to play D&D, but it, it, it's missing some of the things you want in a game. So you think, okay. well, I'll try to, try to homebrew D&D or 5D until it, until it meets what I want, and, and you're putting a square peg in a round hole, and people tend to give up and try their own thing. Right. Um, our, our game, uh, specifically, I wanted it to be, it's a mythic, classical era fantasy adventure. You start low fantasy, you create high fantasy as you go, and um, that, that could not be supported by the games that we were traditionally playing, Pathfinder and D&D. And so we, we started creating this sort of unique game that we really wanted to have flushed out ourselves. Um, and uh, it sort of grew as we went based off what we cared about. And, and for me, that collaborative world building, that cultural structure was the most important thing. Uh, and as well as that legacy play, where every time you come back, you're, you're inheriting things from your ancestors, you're building that culture together. And, and, and that sort of flushed out at, at a lot of differences from the way that uh, games we played before. And in, in order to make that game, it was really important for us to play a lot of games. So we'd started by, we, we started by looking up all the games that we thought might have similar elements that we might want to pull from. Right. And played, you know, like 10 or 12 one-shots of a bunch of different tabletop oh. games, which was really fun. So, so you were able to cherry-pick the stuff you liked. And yeah, exactly. About so the stuff it, it, it was really inspiring and, and really helpful, and I've been doing it here at this convention as well. Oh. Buying a lot of tabletop role-playing games for the same reason. I was so. going to say, perfect yeah. place to do that. Definitely yeah. at Gen Con. So, so what's your goal with this game? What's coming next? So uh, I mentioned that it's sort of these plug-and-play modules. Right now we have... The, uh, the, the game is made for this legacy style play, so you should be able to play it for years and years with the same group or even different groups uh, within your larger culture. And in order to do that, we need to keep it from you know being the same game every time. And so we've got these modular game loops that we've created. We've created some of them, but we have plans to create uh, many more classes for players to play uh, when at the micro level, and when you zoom out to that macro level, have many more ways to influence and play with your civilization. So right now we have things like town building, building on the culture through the cultural tapestry. We really want to develop game loops for like campaign level settings where you go on a military campaign as a group, you control the battles, and then you zoom in on your characters. 
uh, and we really need rules to expand an empire, and so those sort of modules that we plan on plugging and playing that let people take their civilization from not only the beginning, but all the way to the ends are the future modules we'll be creating. So, so as a player, I would play multiple characters over multiple historical periods. Yes, and those could be one-shots, uh, they could be full campaigns, it really depends on your group and how long you guys want to play. Um, so I could have a character whose ancestor was another character I played. Absolutely, that's actually really common. We have people who have these family lineages and they'll um, they'll inherit their magic items from their previous characters. Okay. They will oh. inherit uh, certain Smart. certain traits. Uh, we've had people inherit curses, people inherit like their like uh, unique uh, ancestry or sub-race that they invented. Um, and we have people run through every game. I'm going to play the grandson of the previous character that I played or the granddaughter, and, and we run through full lineages for the game sometimes, which is really fun. I think that so. could be fascinating, because to be honest, one thing that would strike me is as a D&D player, I get attached to the character, yeah. so having to let go of characters would be tough, but then if you can just make that an ancestor, yeah, that yeah. might make it a little more... It, it helps a lot. I have the exact same thing. I really, you know, you don't want to let go of a character. We also have... Um, Sort of uniquely, some of the sub-races or, or heritages, as we call them in the game, are uh, mortal. And so you can okay. play a character that's immortal, and it's, it's kind of unique because it's a legacy game, because you're playing through multiple eras. Um, the impact of the immortal character is pretty pretty significant. Where right. I feel like a lot of tabletop role-playing games, you play it once, you leave, you're cutting into like a slice of their immortality, not the whole thing. Right. And it's, it's made some things weird in a really interesting, I think, kind of unique way. So it's been fun. So is it your plan to eventually get this to market? Yes, so it's free right now, um, and specifically we just want people to play it. Um, we have plans to kickstart a hardcover version of the game, probably beginning next year. Uh, okay. We're planning on coming back next year to Gen Con and, and really do like a Kickstarter marketing campaign, so probably like spring 2025 time frame for that Kickstarter. We, um, we plan on keeping the PDF online free, at least for now. Um, and uh, so specifically, we'd be looking at the hardcover versions of the game. GM tools would become what we would kickstart for. Uh, the, the real goal is to get it out there for us. We just want people to play it. So. Right. So how can people get a hold of you or find the game, or what's the best way to make contact? Yeah, so we've got, we don't have social media right now, and I've been told that's something I need to fix. We currently <laughs> have a website, uh, talesofcicadia.com. That's S-A-C-A-D-A-I-A. And we have a Discord as well, um, which uh, is usually the way that people can get a hold of us pretty directly. We're really active in that Discord, all the developers, as well as a lot of players now. So, so as an, for an old person like me, I was able to figure out going to your website, that's how you join the Discord. Correct, right? that's okay. the best way to do it. And okay. that also has all of the game free online. So you can play, there's the GM Guide, the Player's Handbook, all the one-shots we have and the modules that we've created so far are all there for free. So. So through the Discord and your website is where people would find out about the Kickstarter when that... Correct. Okay. Okay, so that's exciting stuff. Thank you. Anything else that you want to share about the game or about what's coming or something we should be looking out for? I think uh, the main thing to look out for, uh, we need to go to a lot more conventions, and we're planning on doing that, so uh, look out for us. We're going to be doing a lot of games. We're doing a lot of games here at Gen Con. We'll be doing a lot of games at future conventions. We'd love for people to come by and check us out. like I said, we just want people to play this game, so uh, we're really passionate about it, and we, we hope to find other people and get other people passionate about it as well. 
Thoughts? Have you had pretty good reaction here from the playtest hall? Yeah, I, uh, we've had some really good interactions, and we've had quite a few people actually reach out to us after doing the FEPH hall and ask to play again and explore more of the cultural stuff because we really tested the tactical combat element of the game. So, right. Uh, right. So we're going to run a lot of the macro element games in the cultural tapestry tonight, and, and a lot of people seem really excited about that, so we're really looking forward to it. Well, thanks for taking some time today. I loved the game. It was exciting to talk to you as a history teacher. That's right up my alley as yeah. far as elements that I would like to explore. So I'll sure be waiting for your Kickstarter, and hopefully everybody else out there will be too. Thank you very much for the time. All right. Our final interview was something that was a little bit uh, a little bit unexpected, a little bit fun. I was One thing I noticed that was different about Gen Con this year, or at least I noticed it more, was... There were more musicians out and about just performing in the halls. Yes, I would, I think, so I would, after, of course, I look at the, the show program after I get home. Because <laughs> who has time at the show to flip through the program? Right. And I didn't take the time to do it beforehand when they sent us the digital copy. So note for next year, flip through that digital program when they send it about two weeks uh, prior to the show. But they had a couple pages dedicated to performers that would be, just doing what you had said, just kind of in random spots and places mm-hmm. throughout the show floor, um, or not the show floor, but the, the exhibit hall um, performing. And so it, it really adds a nice sort of touch, a flavor to the show. It really does, yes. And so this was a, just a duo, a man on a fiddle, a woman playing a bowron, an Irish drum. And I enjoyed, I threw him some money when I was listening to him in the hallway didn't think too much of it. And then I think it was our, we were nearing the end of, of our Gen Con experience and I was in the vendor hall and saw them and all of a sudden it, I thought, <laughs> I should probably interview him. This might be kind of interesting. So uh, the, spoke just to her. Her husband wasn't, uh, he came up during the interview and was sort of silently nodding and agreeing to certain things she said. But um, So the group is, is Oum, but it looks like Ogham, O-G-H-A-M. Ah. Uh, one of those linguistic nerd things in Irish or Scottish, if you see an H after a consonant, the consonant will probably be silent. Fascinating. I'll have to keep that in mind. So, yeah, so you can pronounce you, you can pronounce things correctly now. Yes, That's why you. it's not Edinburgh, it's Edinburgh. Ah, yes. Because it's actually spelled G-H at the end. Okay, good so, to know. All right, so anyway, and I know that's Scottish, not Irish, but it works the same. So, all right, here is Ulm. All right, Dan here. This is the last day at Gen Con. I'm here with Amanda of the of Ohm, the traditional Irish duo. So I got to hear you guys uh, yesterday sort of busking in the hall and love that traditional sound. So tell us a little bit about how you, you know, how you formed your group, what, what made you guys decide to do that, why you're at Gen Con, sure. any of that. So uh, my husband and I are both music teachers. We both play music. Um, traditionally, I'm a clarinet player. Okay. And I had been going to Renaissance fairs for a long time. And I was at the Bristol Renaissance Fair and ran into uh, my husband here who was playing fiddle in the lanes. 
and we got to talking, eventually dating, and then he was like, here's this drum thing, you should play it. And I was like, what part of clarinet player do you not understand? And But I tried it, and I took a few lessons, and, and went to some workshops, and, and started playing, and then the following year, we started playing as a duet together at the Bristol Renaissance Fair, and then about a year after that, we came to Gen Con, and we played here, and then we took a bunch of years off from Gen Con, um, just because we were at Bristol, and, and sort of dedicated to that and then uh, after COVID we kind of took a break from Bristol for a little bit and then came back here. So you describe your music as straight up traditional Irish. Is there any, I, I know just tiny bits so yeah. I know things like Clanad and groups like that that are blend stuff with other forms. I would say for the most part we're traditional Irish music. Uh, my husband likes to throw in some like country dances and things like that. Um, for the most part, traditional Irish music. Yeah. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. How has it been here at Gen Con this year for you guys? It's been wonderful. People are super kind. People have been stopping to listen. The kids have been dancing for us. People oh, have been nice. super generous. So it's it's been a blast. And so are you gamers yeah. in private life? Or? Yeah, we've been playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons for many, many years with several different groups, both as players and my husband also DMs a group for us as well. Nice. Um, we do some tabletop gaming. Yeah. Okay. So off-kilter off question, does the music ever figure into the adventures? That's a good question. I know that we like to like pull up a lot of like Spotify playlists that have a lot of music that's very similar to nice. ours. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was gonna say it'd probably be kind of hard to play, play and play. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, that would be fun. None of us have really played a bard. <laughs> like, we oh play dear, things. that needs to be you rectified. Know? I know. I know. I don't know <laughs> if it's like too close to real life, but. <laughs> Well, listen, how can folks, if folks are interested in Irish music and want to try to find you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so uh, we can be found on Spotify. If you search OM, which is spelled funny, it's O-G-H-A-M, we'll pop right up. You can find us on there. Um, otherwise, we just dropped some new CDs on Bandcamp, and right, that's okay. at tjhull.bandcamp.com. All right. Well, I know you guys have to go off and perform now, but thank you so much for taking a little time and talking to me, and I'm glad it's been a good con for you. Thank you so much. So I love listening to all those folks, but it just brings the the con crash <laughs> back. <laughs> yes, just, indeed. But I, I am understanding more and more kind of the... I know it's cliche to say the magic of a con, but... Mm -hmm. That place in particular, as big as it is, I have an emotional attachment because I feel like we've we've made connections. It's more than just some person. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the folks from Ohm next year mm -hmm. if they're back. Yeah, um, looking forward to seeing Alan Morris in his booth. Looking forward to seeing. I'm sure the Dungeon Dudes will be back. Mm -hmm. And there's just folks that we've met, Limitless, and some of those that yep. we'll we'll stay in touch with during the year. But it's just. There's sort of something special about seeing him in their element there. It just you, you really get a sense of what the gaming community is like yeah. when you are there. And it's not just, you know, TTRPGs, which again is what our focus is, although mm -hmm. we will talk about other games from time to time. But it's it's just a great pulse on what gaming means to people. Yeah. And I think that's part of the connection that I get to it. Um, and it's it is hard to leave. I thought I really thought going into this year. Five, being there Wednesday through Sunday, I thought, I'm going to be so tired. 
and so exhausted, which I was, <laughs> but I thought I will be so exhausted that I won't even care that I'm leaving. And it didn't really work out that way. Yeah. You still, you're walking away going, oh, I, 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 did I see everything? Yes. And I still don't think, after, I just still don't think I got through every single no. row and saw what each booth had. Um, in particular, the one I'm most disappointed in is that far back left corner where the, the indie people were. Yeah. Um, to the left of where the artists are, kind of back where that other podcasting booth, the glass booth is back there. Right. I don't think I, I don't think I got in there and I'm super disappointed because those are the companies that I want to support the most. Yeah. They have the most unique things. And, yeah. and I, I was, it, it was very cool that you and Mark kind of got out of the showroom floor and went into some of those rooms uh, that companies have reserved just for yeah. their games. Yeah. And next year I need to do more of that because I look through and every doorway you peek in and you think, oh, I want to go in there. Yeah. I want to see what that game's like. And, and some of those yeah. are hard to get into. <laughs> yes. yes. I never got into the, to the booth or to the room that had Dragon Bane uh, game and they had the the game of the year I think or RPG game of the year the Blade Runner game oh, okay. the, and they had the any uh, they had that in there I, I could never crack that 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 gatekeeper there to get into <laughs> a game in there but uh, but yeah it, there's so much and there, you know I still always look at the film festival and never get into that yes yes so lots and lots to do lots and lots to do it has quickly become my favorite annual convention to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Gary Khan. Gary Khan's just a different, it's a different beast. It is. It's more sitting down and playing the I whole was, time. I was thinking some of the folks that, you know, some of the friends that we met, some of the, you know, and my first thought was, oh, you should come and, you know, try to sell your stuff at Gary Khan. Mm-hmm. But I thought, no. Those, those folks are focused on yeah. playing their games, which is a kind of a magic of its own. Right. But it's a yeah, very different feel. Yeah. So, well, I guess that puts a wrap on Gen Con for this year. Yes. It's going to be hard for me to stop thinking about it. Yeah. But I think we've talked plenty about Gen Con <laughs> this year. Start, it's time to start looking forward to the uh, fall season and uh, getting back to our Dungeons & Dragons games. You know, do you think the summertime is a, is a good time to play Dungeons & Dragons? Not for us. I don't know why. I don't know why that... Well, it's schedules. Being teachers, we all like flee in the summer Vacations, at different times. And we've got folks that are younger than we are, and all their friends are getting married, so yep. they're constantly going away weekends for yep. weddings for this or that. And so it'll be good to yeah. get back to our games this summer or this fall and uh, and move forward. So yeah. thank you everybody so much for listening to our Gen Con recaps. If you if there's something that you heard or something we missed that you want to let us know about, please send us an email at teachersinthedungeon at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram page. Dan does a, a whale of a job on our Instagram page. I'm trying. I'm trying. To f- you always know it's mine when it's just pictures. Because <laughs> I have a 16-year-old daughter who says she's going to teach me how to do reels and stories. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. That, that promise was made to me sometime in May. So anyway, uh, let us know. Follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, at Dungeon Teachers. We're also on Facebook, Teachers in the Dungeon. And we are we are emerging onto YouTube tentatively. I've got oh, a couple yes. videos up. So we will, right. uh, we will be continuing to add our podcast content there as well. Right. Correct. And we'll do some sort of an official launch of that when we get some stuff on there. But if you want to... Take a peek. Jump on. Again, let us know what you think. Teachers in the Dungeon at gmail.com. So until next week, 
as long as you're the good guys, keep rolling those 20s. That wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.